What poor in spirit means is that you have declared spiritual bankruptcy. You have said to God, I uphold the theology of Genesis 1, I am made in your image, and therein there is a dignity. This is Beholding Christ. I'm Matt Williams, your host. I want to welcome you to part five of the Beatitudes, Flourishing in Christ's Kingdom from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor Paul began yesterday to walk us through one of the most misunderstood passages in the Beatitudes, the very first one, in verse three of Matthew's Gospel, chapter five. And we've invited Pastor Paul to join us and help us get started here. So, Pastor, you've prepped us on the difficulties in understanding Christ's Sermon on the Mount and applying it to our lives, and now you're covering Beatitude 1, Blessed are the poor in spirit today. That's right, Matt. The Beatitudes echo much of what Moses taught from God's commandments about how to live life under his reign so that we flourish in his kingdom. Now, with respect to the first Beatitude, Blessed are the poor in spirit, The best way I know to state the principle is that Christians must admit to spiritual bankruptcy. One of the most flagrant errors that we can make is to say to God, I'm not as bad as your word says I am. By doing so, we choose a very hard path. Thanks, Pastor, as we continue in our series with part five of The Beatitudes, Flourishing in Christ's Kingdom. No matter what decisions you have made, what mistakes you have made, what sins you have committed, no matter how you have lived your life, there is a residing dignity in every single person by virtue of the fact that you have been made in God's image. Self-loathing in that respect is prohibited. It is not a low self-image. What poor in spirit means is that you have declared spiritual bankruptcy. You have said to God, I uphold the theology of Genesis 1, I am made in your image, and therein there is a dignity. But I also uphold the theology of Genesis 3, and I am a sinner. You declare spiritual bankruptcy based upon your sin. You take seriously both the depth and the extent of your sin. You take seriously Jesus' teaching wherein he says, if you have allowed yourself to think a bad thought in your heart against another person, you have given way to the same sin that gives rise to murder. It is no different. You declare with Jesus in accordance with his teaching that if you have allowed your heart to long after somebody else who is not your spouse, you have given way to the same impulses that give rise to adultery. The depth of your sin is far greater than you in and of yourself or the world would allow you to think. Additionally, the extent of your sin is vast. There is sin in everything that you do. 
Isaiah the prophet says, even your best deeds are like filthy rags before a holy God. Which means in your prayer time, there is sin. In your study of the scripture, there is sin. In your coming to church, in your embracing of brothers and sisters in Christ, there is sin. It is everywhere, like oil seeping through the cracks. There is not one area of your life where sin is not found. And so in its depth and in its extent, you are a sinner. And to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge that before a holy God. To say, I am spiritually bankrupt. I bring absolutely nothing of any value to the table. To be spiritually poor is to adopt the position of the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. You remember when Jesus told the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It is not to side with the Pharisee who approached God and said, God, I praise you. I praise you that I do this and this and this, and I praise you that I'm not like this person and this person. Oh, praise be to God for my righteousness. That is not spiritually poor. To be spiritually impoverished is to adopt the posture of the tax collector who beats his chest and cannot even raise his eyes to the heavens. And he says, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. That is what it means to be spiritually impoverished. Now notice the curious juxtaposition that Christ sets up when he says, flourishing are the poor in spirit. In the world's eyes, this makes no sense. Flourishing, happy are the ones who declare themselves to be bankrupt. How is it that Christ can tell us we will flourish when we arrive at this position of spiritual poverty? Why does that work? Why is that relationship true? The answer is because in so much as you have failed to arrive at a position of spiritual poverty, You are, in essence, failing to affirm the truths of Genesis 3 and saying to God, I know better than you. You are, in essence, failing to uphold the truth of sin in your life and saying to God, I'm not as bad as your word tells me I am. It is akin to a second hand on a clock, declaring to the clockmaker, I know more than you. And then turning in completely the opposite direction. That is what it means to fail to declare spiritual bankruptcy. And the scriptures speak to those who conduct their lives in such a manner, telling us the way of the transgressor is hard. You have chosen to say to God, I am not as bad as your word says I am, and thereby you have chosen a hard path. God in his wisdom has established this fallen world in such a manner that his word teaches us how to live. 
And to the degree that you fail to submit to it and somehow on some level declare yourself to be righteous, you are choosing a hard path. Proverbs says pride comes before destruction. And so with that being said, the inverse is also true. Blessed, flourishing, happy are those who say, I have nothing. I've got nothing to bring. And in that declaration, there is great joy. Now, the question comes, if it's true that blessed are the poor in spirit, just how poor do we need to be? Or to ask it a slightly different way, if we were to search the writings of other world religions, we would find this teaching. Taken in isolation, we would find in other systems of belief the simple premise that to abase yourself in this life will bring a degree of peace. In that respect, Jesus here is not being entirely unique. Taken in isolation, what is Jesus teaching here that other religions don't have? Or how poor do we need to be? to obtain to the flourishing that Jesus is promising? And the answer is, you need to be so poor that you appeal to a carpenter from Nazareth as your only source of spiritual wealth. You need to have arrived at the absolute zero of your spiritual account so as to be willing to look at a man who was rejected, scorned, beaten, mocked, and crucified on a cross and say, I find my wealth there. I am ready to cast myself upon that man as the only source of my spiritual wealth. See, taken in its broader context, you realize this teaching is entirely unique. Do not lose sight of the fact that Jesus just said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he is the kingdom bringer. He is the king, and so it stands to reason the only kind of poverty that is acceptable and will bring true, lasting, flourishing is the poverty that clings to the man that just commended us to repent. That is how poor you have to be to bring a level of poverty to the table, yet clinging on to something of your own doing is no poverty at all. To come to Christ and say, I recognize my destitute state, and yet there is this one thing over here that I think is of some value, is no poverty at all. The only poverty that is acceptable and will bring the kind of blessing that Christ promises here is one that says, I have nothing and Christ has everything, and so I cast myself upon him. It is to sing with a ready heart. As the hymn writer teaches us, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That is spiritual poverty. Now, by way of application, there are many smiles on a Sunday. There are many smiles on a Sunday. People arrive with a smile. 
You greet one another with a smile. You leave with a smile. And I know enough to know that those smiles are not always representative of true flourishing. We put on our Sunday best. We put on our Sunday smiles. And I know that often the Sunday smiles do not represent true flourishing. What often is true is that the Sunday smiles are there to cover a lack of flourishing, a lack of happiness, a lack of joy. The Sunday smiles do not present an accurate picture of what is happening in the home, what is happening beneath the surface, and what is happening Monday through Saturday. And if you are here today and you know that you are not flourishing in the way that Jesus desires that you would flourish, it may be because you have not yet declared yourself to be spiritually bankrupt. You are choosing the way of the transgressor with a wonderful facade that has many people thinking that you are. And yet you are clinging on to a sense of your own righteousness. And for that reason, there is a lack and absence of flourishing in your life. And if you have never cast yourself upon Christ, you will not know this blessing of which he speaks. And I would encourage you this day to give up, to stop trying, and to say, I have nothing. And I choose to find my spiritual value in Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, the same truth sadly can be true for you. Having put your faith in Christ and following him to some measure, enjoying and experiencing God's patience and his grace each and every day, you understand your spiritual poverty, and yet there are areas of your life where you are clinging on to a way in which you think you know better than God. There are areas in your life where you are refusing to let go and even there declare spiritual bankruptcy. God in his patience has not yet disciplined you for your persistence in sin, but you are not enjoying the flourishing to which Jesus commends us because you are clinging on to a sense of your own righteousness, albeit in one area of your life. Let go. Submit to God. Say afresh and in new areas of your life, I am spiritually poor. Because therein there is great blessing. Now what then about this second half of the verse? Our last question for this morning, to be blessed is to flourish. It's a way of living. It is to, to prosper spiritually to be joy-filled and happy. Who is it that are blessed? It is those who declare themselves to be spiritually impoverished. And then Jesus adds, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, I just want to stress that word blessed is not setting up a cause-effect relationship. It is portraying a way of living. Coupled with that is then a promise. So it's a, a twofold truth given to us in each beatitude. The truth that this is a way of living wherein you will find happiness 
coupled with an end time promise. The kingdom is not now. It hasn't arrived. It is yet to come. Jesus will bring it when he comes a second time. And what Jesus promises is that those who have truly lived their lives in the utmost spiritual poverty, clinging to Christ as their only source of spiritual worth, those that have lived in that manner will be the recipients, the beneficiaries of this kingdom. Now, what does that kingdom look like? Well, we read from Isaiah 61 earlier this morning. And again, I want to encourage you this afternoon, just open Isaiah 61 and read through it slowly. Have a finger in Matthew 5 and compare the two texts and see how Jesus is drawing from all of these wonderful kingdom promises in Isaiah 61. The Beatitudes draw from many texts in the Old Testament, but the primary text that Jesus seems to be leveraging is that 61st chapter from the prophet Isaiah. And in that chapter, we are told about the nature of the kingdom as the prophet says, I will rejoice and my soul will exult because my God has clothed me with righteousness. The coming of the kingdom is a day of great rejoicing. It is one wherein our souls are exulting. Why? Because in that day we are clothed and we will see the glorious righteousness that comes from the gospel. We enjoy it now the second we put our faith in Christ and on the last day we will see with clearer vision the truth of our salvation that God has made us oaks of righteousness. Read through that last third of the prophet Isaiah and see how often he speaks of the kingdom and it is a joyous place to be. Our cheeks will ache in the kingdom because we will be smiling so much. There will be so much laughter in the kingdom, so much rejoicing. He will wipe away every tear as you enter. The ones who are lined up at the gate of the kingdom are the spiritually impoverished. No one else. And they enter, and as they enter, Christ himself wipes away your tears, and immediately you are a joy-filled person. In an ever-going, everlasting, ongoing reality, you will be in the kingdom with Christ, rejoicing with him. And so, what impetus is there to declare yourself this day to be spiritually bankrupt? You may be happy now. There is a real happiness that is obtainable in the realities of this fallen world. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And add to that the promise that the kingdom will be yours. The kingdom of heaven will be yours and you will dwell there with Christ. This is the promise for the poor in spirit. When I go home... At the end of each day, there is a pile of flyers and adverts in the mailbox. Every day without fail, sure as the sun will set, there will be some flyers in my mailbox. And every single one of them, in some way, is promising me 
happiness. A lot of them promise me happiness today, immediately, right now. Some of them promise me happiness in the future. They project a future time when I'll be rewarded. And some of them promise both. All I have to do is buy into whatever it is they're selling. There's often a picture with a family with brilliant white teeth and great smiles. And the implication that they're trying to communicate to me is, look how happy you will be if you just accept this invitation. And every single flyer gets put straight into the trash. Because we all know it's a lie. It's a fake invitation. It's not real. 2,000 years ago, Christ issued an invitation, which is as true today as it was the day in which he spoke it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pray with me. Father, we praise you for your grace that you have made available for us a means of flourishing in this life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In a way that does not make sense to a watching world, the pathway to such flourishing is poverty in our spirits. Give us the grace to daily declare ourselves to be spiritually bankrupt because of our great sin in its depth, in its extent. We are spiritually bankrupt. Give us this grace every day to run towards that confession and to see our only source of spiritual wealth in Christ. May our hands be empty as we run towards the cross. May we understand and enjoy and truly experience the flourishing that Christ promises. And as we do so, may we ever keep before us the wonderful reality that for the poor in spirit, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Instill in our hearts a glorious vision of the coming kingdom and cause us to be steadfast, poor in spirit, flourishing as we wait for Christ. We pray in His name. You're listening to Beholding Christ. Living out the Beatitudes in our daily lives may seem impossible because of the sinful nature we have, even when we are following Christ through our daily lives. Pastor Paul said as much earlier, quote, the only possible chance of obeying his commandments is by first being saved, end quote. Once we are regenerated by repenting and choosing to walk with Christ through the power of his blessed Holy Spirit, our spiritual eyes are opened. But understanding and applying the Beatitudes is never easy. We must always prepare our hearts through prayer before we begin. Pastor taught us today, quote, to be poor in spirit means that you have admitted to spiritual bankruptcy, end quote. Let's meditate on what that means. 
And if you'd like to learn more about following Christ, come to our website, beholdingchrist.org, beholdingchrist.org. Then on the homepage, select Resources. And there you'll find free access to a treasury of gospel teaching programs. Beholding Christ is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you're in the area and don't have a home church, you're invited to join in the worship service at Bethany Bible Church this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Hope you'll join us on Monday as we continue with part six in our series, The Beatitudes, learning more about flourishing in Christ's kingdom from Pastor Paul Twist. I'm Matt Williams. Hope you have a great weekend, and thank you for listening.